This episode is brought to you by Playapod, the best cross-platform podcast app for iOS and Android. Just visit playapod.com and download it for free. Welcome to the Declaration of Independence with your host, Reese Finlay. Hello. Hello. Who are you? I am Brent Harshman, a comics writer out of the uh, United States and Florida, California, New York, currently California. I've known you for as long as I've done comics. I think about the same. I think we both started around 2014, I think. Okay, so I guess I came a year later. Yeah, you'll be only one from that year I haven't heinously fell out with, so that is the goal <laughs> within the next hour is to fall out with you. Okay, well let's let's uh let's aim aim for that and see what happens. But let's get the uh the promotion stuff out of the way first. Of course, of course. So yeah, you started in twenty fourteen. What what was the road that led you to decide that writing comics is what you wanted to do? Well, I've always I've always been a writer, like growing up writing stories and watching movies and reading comics and uh and I, at first I was trying to do like prose and trying to write a novel and stuff, but I decided that was, you know, not the route that would keep my attention. It's very, very, very hard to write a novel and I don't have that kind of attention span. And one day I think I was just bored and I just started writing a pretend Spider-Man comic that will never, ever see the light of day because it's awful. And then I just kept doing it. And then I think one day on Reddit, somebody was posting asking for a writer to do like a, somewhat knockoff Teenage Mutant, Ninja Tur- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic, and I sent a message, and then Weasel Masters was born. Well, so you, you went straight in with that ongoing series. Yes, yes. And I made the the god-awful mistake of being like, okay, my first comic ever is going to be a 30-issue maxi series. <laughs> Perfect. I think that's everyone's goal going in. <laughs> yes, of course. And then you realize how expensive comics are and how hard comics are. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I think that was a subject I wanted to touch on with you because obviously you put a lot of money into your projects, and mm-hmm. that's a rare sight in comics. I mean, it, you'll either get people asking you to work for free for exposure, or or we'll do a Kickstarter down the line. You'll you'll probably get paid if it's successful. But you're, I've, I've always got respect for no matter what industry or project, if someone's willing to put in their own money and make that risk themselves, it's yeah. Incredible. Well, I think it's important. Like, I think, you know, people are only going to give their best quality work if they think, well, I mean, that's kind of like the nihilistic way of thinking of it, I guess. Uh, it, th- that thought was people only give their best work if they think their livelihood is on the line, which is a very uh, not optimistic way of thinking like I normally do. But I, I, but I guess what the heart of it is, if people aren't getting paid, then they don't care as much about it as if they are getting paid. And that's understandable. And also, like, artists and letterers and designers like i can write a script as a writer in an hour two hours three hours eight hours for like a 30 pager like an artist that'll take them like a month two months three months to do so i respect that and i think paying a collaborator is very important the other thing is it also shows that you're actually serious and passionate about the project exactly yeah because in the world of small press indie comics i mean i was scrolling through the app we've both put up issues on and the amount of series that's, you know, issue one is there and then it'll never go beyond that. Yeah. And that's like, and trust me, as a creator, like I have put together either like 50% or 100% of an issue one that one, I never published two. I just couldn't afford to keep doing. And then three. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people do do, like you said, they they'll complete an issue one and then, it won't go further than that because of various reasons. Yeah, it's like the band breaks up as soon as the first single comes out, and it's a real shame. Yeah. Especially when that's when the audience will be there. But. And I think, I mean, going back to that, I think, like, the main, the, the, a very important thing with comics is, like, if your heart's not in it, and it's, and it's not, like, a story you want to tell, you have to tell, and you're excited to, to tell, and if you don't have that kind of enthusiasm to carry your team... It'll never get done because comics are expensive. Very rarely, even on like the big leagues in like Marvel and DC, very rarely do like creators make a living off of them. Most of them are working 
a second job. Like I know Jim Zub, who's one of like this, these great artist writers, who's like doing like stuff like Thunderbolts and the different Avengers things. He's also a teacher, like a full time teacher to pay the bills. Yeah. So you you have to be passionate about it, and you have to want to do it. Otherwise, it'll never get done. And that is, I feel that's a real shame because it feels it feels like there's it's not as yeah. much as a career as it should be. Yeah, I guess like it's it's very it's very hard when you have that mindset and that knowledge. You have to also have equal. You have to have equal parts that knowledge and naivete of like, I'll make it. I'll be one of the few, and that that has to be like your yeah. the coal in your steam engine, just like pushing you along is that that dream. But I guess then it all it all ties back to what you said. It's about the passion. Yes. Uh, ultimately, yeah. it stems from you. Then it gets handed down to the artists and the letterers and the inkers and the colorists and the guy who prints it, and then on to the readers. Yes. Which I guess is the best attitude to have. I, I agree. But yeah, I, I feel the nihilism. Like just before we had this call, <laughs> I was in conversations with people about like the convention scene here in the UK. Oh yeah. I, I've I've been out of it for a few years, so I wanted to see you know which of the ones to do and stuff, and it was quite bleak. There's, yeah. there's, there's the buzzwords. It's like oh, that convention's good for networking, or oh, that one's very comics focused, and all these are kind of buzzwords for you're not going to sell anything, but you might yeah. have a nice time. And but yeah, I, d- I don't know what the American attitude is, but in the UK, there's this purism about conventions so there's, there's a faction hopefully just a vocal minority of people who bemoan and be so angry and hateful towards the idea that a comic con incorporates more aspects of pop culture yeah so you know they'll go oh it's a comic convention why is there no comics well, there is comics but there's also film and tv and yeah and it's i don't like it i think it's the Frankenstein's monster argument. No one, yeah. re- no one really cares that much about the namesake. But I feel the comic cons that incorporate more aspects of pop culture bring in a more diverse audience. Yes. Who sometimes are willing to take a bigger risk on the indie comics. Yeah. As well as the artwork I'm... and every other facet of it. Yeah. And th- that's definitely present in America too. And I definitely do think it's just a vocal minority of like the people who who don't want a comic convention unless it's only comics. Mm. I definitely think that's that's the minority. Because I agree with you. I think, especially as somebody who goes and invests money in, like, a table and, like, tries to network or promote my stuff or get new readers or build an audience or whatever, like, I think those the cons that do involve film and toys and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and trading cards and this and that, like, the more the more nerd culture that we can unite means that say somebody's a fan of Yu-Gi-Oh cards but has never read a comic book they're going to be walking through the con killing time until Yu-Gi-Oh Talk 101 goes on at the panel room B or whatever they're going to be walking around the, the con and then they see like Joe Schmo's comic books that oh, know, I love Joe Schmo's comic books <laughs> anyway <laughs> he's great. but yeah, yeah. You're, it's diversified it's, it's growing yeah. the audience you know Whereas if it's First, if it's a room full of comic creators, all the tables are indie comics. It's just an echo chamber. Yeah, you you breed them within the own gene pool, and you're gonna. And then nobody's buying stuff. Yeah, no one's buying stuff because it's. Because why am I gonna buy your? It's like because yeah. basically at those at those kind of conventions, the only people there are the people there. Like yeah. you're not getting new. You're not getting new fans. You're not getting people who. Well, you've got a lot of people through the door, but they'll want to meet. The big names are signing. You know, I'll, I'll when I sell to a hardcore comics fan, it's usually online. When I sell to it at a convention, it's usually to a, a casual passerby. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Like the That's casual it. passerbys are what you want. Cause Whereas like, if you're in this comics focused, as they call it, where it is yeah. 100% indie comics people, a few yeah. stalls of back issues, and a few big names in the comic industry. You'll get people coming in with a big stack of books to get signed by one of the big names. They'll blow all their money at the other big name. Yeah, they know exactly what they want to spend and they have no interest in your thing. They'll only speak to you because they've got a 300-page sci-fi that they'd love you to draw. Um, They don't have a budget. (laughs) They want you to do it for free. Well, you should be grateful that you're working on such a big project. It's going to be the next Star Wars. It's going to get a movie deal. I think that's what I said about Weaselmeisters. I think it was going to be the next Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Okay, this is how we fall out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I used to be very anti-comparing. Yeah. So I used to hate the, oh, if you like X, you'll love our comic. 
It's important. But then I realised it's an important tool to communicate. So when I did my autobiography, I had to be like, oh, it's like Fight Club meets Eternal yeah. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Just, and to, being... just to translate it rather than trying to explain, oh, it's a guy yeah. from a, he works in finance and his leg doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 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 especially when it's not, you're not doing exactly that. Like, if, like, we, we some Meisters, you can definitely tell that there's Turtles influence there, especially in the art and especially because it's, you know, anthropomorphic badasses. But then, and you can definitely tell that there's a Guardians of the Galaxy influence there too, because of the cosmic stuff, the 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 characters and stuff. But like, that's not what it is. Like Weaselmeister is its own story, but it's influenced by these things. And if if I'm at a con and there's like a 13 year old there who's like, "What's this?" I can sell it to them by saying, "Yeah, oh, it's it's it's. Do you like the turtles? Yeah. Do you like do you like Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Rocket Raccoon's great. You're gonna love this." And then they go up to their mom. And they're like, "Hey, can I get five bucks so I can get this comic book?" Sure. Versus if I didn't do that, then they're like, what's this? I'm like, oh, it's Weaselmeister. It's this. And they're like, okay, cool. And they'll put the comic down and walk away. <laughs> yeah. It's brand recognition. And, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's not, a, it's not a great way to do things, but it's the only way to do things, really. It's how and Hollywood I, works. <laughs> I used to have a massive hardline stance against it. And I think with time, I've realized that it is yeah. the only way to really go about it when discovering a new audience. Yep. Unless, you know, that it works with a three-minute pitch. There's it's the elevator pitch, where, yep. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be able to do a talk in a major UK bookstore where I had 20 minutes to do it and I didn't have to compare. I, I just really got into detail and broke it down. About half the audience then bought the book, so it was, it was perfect. But time and a place, I guess, is the... Yeah, the okay. you don't always have that luxury. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely lucky in the US to, like, you know... I live in... Right now, I live in Los Angeles, so, like... If I had the money and the, the time and the ability to, I could go to San Diego Comic-Con and be able to network. I know in June I'm going to Heroes Con in North, in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is like a big, a big comics convention that was, I believe, started up by Rico Renzi, one of the, uh, colorists, uh, original colorists from, um, Spider-Gwen. And so it's a big industry convention. And then later on this year, I'm going to Heroes, uh, Rose City Comic Con in Portland, Oregon, which is another huge industry one because, like, Dark Horse is based out of there and other, uh, and, you know, Oni Press is based out of there. I think Boom is based out of there. So, like, a lot of independent publishers are based out of there. So, it's a huge industry. So, we're very lucky in the U.S. to have a lot of really great conventions, but there's also a lot of, like you said, very not so great conventions as well. Yeah. And it's, it's impossible to predict which ones are going to be successful. You know, I've done some in, like, little church halls or. Yeah sports venues it's like you can see the, the basketball team are ready to come on <laughs> once we've all packed uh, up yeah. but they can be terrible or they can also be extremely fruitful compared to the bigger ones it's so hard to predict yeah like i remember a couple of years ago when i was with kaiju big battle like this like monster wrestling promotion wrestlers dress up as giant foam monsters and i used to be an announcer for them and we we got signed up to do a convention in the middle of new jersey it was like small town in new jersey and then when we got there, it was like one of those cons where it's like, all right, so one of the former one of the former drummers from the Misfits who also wrote a comic, but nobody really knows him, is is at the table next to us. And then one of the guys from Legion of Doom is there, but nobody's at this convention. Like we did like a a panel and like we had like two people in the audience, and it was just like it was like putting like a sword inside of you every five seconds. Yeah, I can imagine. But was there seems to be quite a strong parallel with wrestling and comics like if I, I meet a lot of comics fans who are into wrestling and i meet a lot of yeah. wrestling fans who are into comics and I, you're you're the convergence point of that having done you know wrestling comics and I, wrestling at comic cons but i will say i'm one of the convergence points like um but yeah i i've always loved wrestling you know growing up in the 90s like it was attitude era we had stone cold steve austin the rock we had undertaker we had the tail end of uh Bret Hart's career. We had Owen Hart, the best ever. And then I kind of like, you know, when you get into high school and you start being interested in ro finding romance and friendship and stuff like that, like you see, you put down comic books, you put down wrestling, things you like because it's considered not cool. At least it wasn't back then. I'm sure it's different now. Now that like every kid is playing Fortnite, that's just as dorky as comic books. I thought comic yeah. books didn't have those weird dances. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, there was a period of my time where I didn't, of my life, where I didn't read comic books and I didn't watch wrestling. 
but then, you know, in my early twenties, moving to New York, I had, a, I had this, I still have one of my best friends, uh, Mitchell Fesh. He's super into wrestling and he introduced me to this promotion, Chikara, which is like the like perfect convergence. Like if I'm the, con- if I'm one of the convergence points of wrestling into comic books, they are the convergence point of comic books into wrestling. Like they're all about big characters, crazy storylines that carry on for years and like, Finding Chikara brought me back into comic books as well. Yeah, I think because I think the heart of of it all is like both are about both comic books and wrestling are about crazy storylines, crazy characters, and like the heart of it all. Like, why are we telling these like giant bombastic storylines? What's the heart of it? Like, the great great power comes with great responsibility. That's Spider Man, but also Spider Man is beating up Mysterio and Sinister Six and stuff like that. Like, and that's what wrestling is too. Like, why why is Stone Cold Steve Austin mad at Vince McMahon? You know, like, and I think that's why there's such a crossover between fans. And this has been five year journey now. You've been lucky enough to do wrestling based comics with Kay mm-hmm. Fabe and the little one we did together back in the day. Yes, wrestling the. The, the one story told from three different generations. And then, yeah, now I have a story in the, the third volume of Kayfabe Anthology, which is a great, um, anthology put together by, I believe, um, what's his name? Uh, sorry, I, we can cut the pause. Let's Google it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's Micah, he's a letterer. Micah Myers. Micah Myers. That's what I thought it was, but then like, all, with all like the comics gate stuff, like I'm like, I don't want to name somebody and accidentally be like calling them somebody else, like, so, <laughs> the comics um, gate is a very yeah i'm on a block list i found out i was devastated yeah well i think i don't i mean i don't know about about why you're on there but like i know like um well i use the hashtag while mocking okay and because i, I use the hashtag I've, I've been lumped in with that lot and it's it's really upset me at the time same i i found out i was blocked by um an anti-comics gate um editor from somewhere and I was like, I was like really worried about it. I was like, oh, he was, I'm sure I tweeted something or like quote tweeted one of their things and it lumped me into whatever I, and I got blocked. Like, I'm not going to be mad at them or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So like Micah Myers, Micah Myers, really great letterer. He's done work with um, another former collaborator and longtime friend about as long as I've been friends with you, Emily Pearson. Yes, Emily. Uh, she's the, she's the best. It's going to be her year. Last year was her year because she's been doing stuff with Black Mask now. I think this year she'll get picked up by either Marvel or DC because they're idiots not to already yeah. get paid. And also have a high priestess, number one. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and she, that'll be... She's also doing a variant cover for Weaselmeisters as well. Ooh. Yeah. The Weaselmeisters, which is about to be funded on Kickstarter. Uh, it's about to go up on Kickstarter. Hopefully it'll get funded. I have had more failure than success with Kickstarter, but I'm staying optimistic. You've been promoting it on the run-up, though. I don't know how you've done it in the past, but I feel that's certainly what I did when I did my successful... Yeah, and, and I, then I did an unsuccessful one before that, and I launched <laughs> it straight away without telling anyone. I was like, oh, yep. there's my Kickstarter. That's, that's what I've done, too, and that's always failed me. But I've become friends with a couple different people who have had very successful Kickstarters, and they've all given me great great advice. I mean, Weasemeister's issue one was Indiegogo'd successfully. We got like a 1000 bucks, and that went to like printing the first issue. Um, but I feel like that was very successful. One, because my grandparents donated probably half of the money. <laughs> um, and then two, because it was, you know, our first comic book. So all of our friends and family were excited for us. So they, and then we immediately let them down because the first issue, before being relettered and remastered in the last week or two, the first issue was very, very much my uh, first comic book ever written <laughs> by somebody. But it uh, was. So you... yes. Yes. You have to take that into account. But, you know, when people don't take that into account, they lose they lose their faith in you. True. And I guess it, that's always on my mind, because obviously I, I put a lot of stuff out there when I really wasn't ready. But I think that's part of it. Like, I mean, like, I, I think you have to fail in order to learn, and you have to put stuff out there and not be afraid of people saying, oh, no, this isn't going to be good. Like, I don't know. I've, I used to hate rejection, and I used to be so afraid of it. Now I'm just like, if you don't put stuff out there, you'll never get something picked up, so might as well put stuff out there and get rejected. Exactly, um, and it's the way I saw it was I wanted to see people go with me on that journey of you yes know, from my first comic where I couldn't draw, but my heart was in it all the way up to the autobiographical stuff or the remaking the old stuff now like I'm about to do. And I don't know, it's it's tricky. I guess it depends on your audience because I guess it, if you were to put your first book out to someone who doesn't know you or doesn't follow you on social media, they're not going to know that it's yeah your first attempt. And even if you do like 
if say like you know your best friend from back home that you haven't talked to in like two years they back it they get a copy if they're not into comic books and they might and they're, and they're not you're not giving them like you know jason aaron's thor run and you're giving them instead something that you put together and it's a first draft because you didn't know to do multiple drafts before giving it to an artist and you didn't know to do a, a final draft before giving it to the letterer which is stuff that I've learned over like the last five years. And now I'm like very adamant about I'm going to do six drafts and, and then put the comic book out um, to make sure that the best quality product's going out there. But if somebody doesn't, if somebody's not into comic books and you're giving them a half-baked idea, then when you're coming around saying, hey, help me fund this other comic book that I'm trying to do, they're going to be less likely to. And that's understandable. You can't blame them for it. It's just a learning experience that you have to do. And all you can do is your best effort. But I- yeah. You, and then again, it, you can't sit at home and wait until you're perfect because that day exactly. will never come. Because you're not you're not putting stuff out there, you're not learning, and you're not being humble enough to learn from your mistakes either. I don't. I've never met anyone who thinks they've made it or they're perfect because <laughs> there, there is no destination. It's I guess it's the journey. So if, um, if you're gonna hide away and wait until your art is perfect or your writing is perfect, it, the day will never come, and you've you've kind of the dream yeah. has stayed a dream rather than become the reality you wanted it to be. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. But that's not happened because you're Kickstarter. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, we're launching a Kickstarter to fund the the trade paperback collecting the first six issues of Weaselmeister's five years of work of blood, sweat, tears, money, negative bank accounts, moving across from New York to Florida over to California now. Like Weaselmeister's has always been the thing I've always gone back to. I was, and I, I love it. I love the story. And so I originally was going to not do Weaselmeisters anymore after issue four. Cause I was just like, I want to go move on to something else. I want to grow and I want to grow. And then one of my uh, friends who I was talking about earlier, when I was talking about successful Kickstarters, uh, Travis Gibb, um, who does uh, broke down in four dead bodies and, He's currently got a Kickstarter in the middle of the Kickstarter campaign right now for um, Dog Days, a um, a uh, noir set in like a uh, Zootopia kind of world. It's really cool. But he said like, you know, you already have four issues done. Like, at least put them out there so people can see that you've done stuff. And so I took that advice and was like, okay, I, I do love the Weasels and I want to continue their story. So I'll, I'll I'll at least finish the last two issues of this first story. And yeah, I, I think this weekend I should get the last two or three pages from Camille Betcher and Lucas Marco, my um, collaborators over in Poland who are, who do all the art. I should get the last couple of pages this weekend of issue six. And it's insane to me because it's been five years, six issues, one complete story from beginning to end. I'm currently going back through issues one. Well, issue one, we just finished, but issues two, three, four, and five. And then, issue six as well getting them rewritten and re-lettered to be a cohesive unit with um my letterer letter squids who's a fantastic letterer i've met him on reddit and then now we are very close we collaborate with our artist friend andy michael um a lot lately but we're just going through and just making sure that the first volume the trade paperback is going to be a very quality very awesome product it's 189 pages including all six issues, variant covers, and some, I think I might include a little bit of, maybe like a page or two of script just to fill out the pages. But it's going to be a wonderful product, and it's I'm very excited for it. And we haven't actually told the listeners what Weasel Masters is, so if you could yeah. sum it up in a media-friendly soundbite for us. I'll go with what I always say, which is Isaac, Billy, and Nicola are um, intergalactic bounty hunters chasing dangerous criminals through the furthest reaches of spaces. Also, they happen to be weasels. It's Teenage Mutant Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I'll never be able to say right. The Turtles meets Guardians of the Galaxy, just bombastic fun with a heartful story about family at the core of it. And if you want to read issue one... It's on Comic House. It's on Comic House. Our new friends at Comic House. They're great. They're, They're fantastic. It's a free app to sign up for. This is not paid promotion, at least not on my end. Um, I wish it was paid promotion on my own. I'm, well, it technically is because we get the royalty payments. So this is a great thing. While it's got okay. this Netflix yeah, format, it, 
it's the Netflix of comics, but 50% of the revenue goes to the creators. But it's it's completely free to sign up for. Like, you just download the app and you get it, and then you just have to, like, anytime you click on a thing, that will bring up, like, a quick advertisement, and you exit out of that quickly. And so that's, that's for 14 days. That's your 14-day trial. Oh, really? Oh, this uh, really I mean, sounds like an infomercial. <laughs> listen, that's the thing. So is, like 14 I just, days on Comic House. <laughs> but, like, I just got it, so I didn't know that. But, like... Even knowing that I'm going to have to eventually pay for it, it's worth it. Because, like, there's stuff by me, there's stuff by you, my uh, my Twitter friend, um, and cr- an amazing creator out of the UK as well, um, Matt Garvey has some stuff up there. And then it's just, you know, creators can just submit their stuff, and it's painless. Like, I submitted Weasel Mice's issue one to Comic House and did a resubmission of the new issue, new PDF of issue one, to Comixology, same time. Still waiting to hear back from Comixology. I heard back from Comic House in like four hours. So if you're a creator with an with a comic that you want to get out there, go through Comic House. I've seen all these conversations about what comic cons are good to do and how to promote and sell the books. It's kind of left me half despondent, but a lot of positivity is in stuff like Comic House and Kickstarter and this online distribution yeah. to reach an audience rather than sitting in a convention table for eight hours and maybe meeting one or two people yeah i've i've been lucky in that the one comic comic convention i've done as a comics creator selling and promoting weasel meisters um back in i think 2015 or 16 i was fortunate enough because it was heroes con in north carolina that pretty much the whole time i had people at least stopping by the table to see what was going on and that weekend, I actually sold out of the first issue of Weaselmeister, so I had a wow. good, good experience. But I know that's not the case for every con. I'm not that naive. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I think there might be a bit of a, a contrast between the UK and American scene. Yeah, well, I feel like that's. Just, I mean, like I hate to be one of those people that says like you know, if the market's oversaturated or there's too many creators, too many stories. Because I think that's a good thing. I think that there is so many opportunities. So many there there are so many opportunities for a creator to put their stuff out there and it's so easy now to put your stuff out there. I think that's great, but it definitely hurts the numbers. Yeah. Which I mean, which, everyone's voice deserves to be heard, but then which if everyone's is, got their voice going off at the same time, which voice are you going to tune in on? Which is why I think like the apps are so smart, like doing the Netflix model, like doing like the like Marvel Unlimited or Comixology Unlimited or whatever it is, or um, Comic House and DC's trying to do their thing, but apparently it's like way more limited than the Marvel app is. I think it's such a smart move because at least people are going to be downloading the app and paying the 10 bucks a month versus maybe picking up a book for four or five bucks. Yeah. That, that, where that book costs, you know. And it opens up the, the, the choice to find something yeah. you might not normally find. Yeah. So it's, it's for Netflix, Spotify ideology. And yeah. It's, it's perfect for this modern age. And hopefully it catches on. I want it to catch on. I think that's the direction I want to go in. I think it will. Like, I know this, I know a new publisher just, uh, kind of just made their foot foothold. It was a uh, TKO presents or whatever. And they're doing like bingeable, uh, but it's physical, but it's like bingeable reading. So it's like, they won't release a comic until like the first arc is done. And then they'll release, I don't know if they do single issues all at once, or if it's just, they just are releasing just the trade paperbacks. Either way, it's smart because then one, you're spending less on printing. And then two, you're putting out a full story so somebody's more willing to just jump on because every story is a jumping on point. Every issue is a jumping on point. But I think that coincides with the idea of just how impossible it is to do single yeah. issues on the small press. It's, just it's pro- the profit margins alone just don't add up, especially yeah. in the UK. I know there's print-on-demand options for you guys. but Yeah, but it's still not like great. Like I know through um, Kablam and Deep Planet, who I go- usually go through, you can do print and demand. You can do like small orders, like one, two, five, ten comics, but you're not going to make a profit off of that. Like the only way to really make a profit is if you can print out like 500 to a thousand copies and then sell all of those at like five bucks a thing. But you're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if I look to my left now, I can see free crates of yeah. High Priestess number one from 2015. <laughs> you can't give them away because it's, it's not that big of an audience, which is fine. Yeah. But that was definitely my mistake there. Whereas the, the graphic novel, yeah. somehow it, it becomes viable. So, you know, when I put out my one, it was £5 per unit I was paying. And you sell yeah. it for £10, which is also very reasonable for the, the consumer. consumer. And yeah. everybody wins. To eventually one day be making a profit off of comic books. But right now I just want to get my stuff printed and out there and 
be able to promote myself to get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. It's happening now. Your Kickstarter will be live imminently when this goes out. And the link will be in the description down below. But obviously, we've got Comic House where you can jump in and get a feel for it with issue one. Yep. Yep. Uh, And hopefully, it'll be up on the Comixology and available on Indie Planet as well. So there'll be availability and people can find it. Comixology is the same sweet time. So download Comic House. I know I've, sound, I've sounded like I'm a shill and I'm really pushing it. Which is something I'm trying to really, really work on because that was a note I got from Heather Antos when I hired her last year to read through a comic I wrote. You can't hire her, she's a woman! <laughs> oh, hey, we're, now we can fall out. I'm joking. Uh, also, maybe, that's, maybe that's why you're on some blacklists. <laughs> this is the problem. I, I think sarcasm doesn't translate. It can. I, I think... But sometimes it's, it can't, and I think that's where I've stumbled. I don't know what I've done or said. Especially my, with some some of the stuff that's going on, people are very, understandably, very sensitive to certain things. And oh, yeah, and right, just, so. Yeah, I and, think my, my attitude was to hold a mirror to Comicsgate and yeah. just show them how stupid and childish it all is. And unfortunately, I've kind of got caught in it. <laughs> it happens. I don't think I've said anything offensive. I think I've just, because I've used the hashtag, I've yeah. ended up on some blockchain that's caught Yeah. On. And there were certain names that I realized I was blocked by, and it was really upsetting. And then yeah. it turned out there was people I didn't know who had blocked me, and then I kind of pieced it together and worked it out. Yeah, you know. Can't be helped. But now I've put it on public record in this podcast, so <laughs> I'm kind of uh, a piece of it now. It, it happens. and But, like, yeah, I hired Heather Antos, like, earlier this year in between when she was done working at Marvel to before she started just now working at Valiant which is super exciting because they both do amazing work. So I'm excited to see what they do together. But she posted like a tweet, like saying like, you know, I'm looking to to do some freelance editing work. If anybody wants some, like a final set of eyes or whatever, like email me. And I had already been working with Stephanie Cook, who's an amazing editor based out of Toronto. Um, And she had done, we'd been working together doing uh, drafts and drafts. And then I submitted the, the last draft that I had written to Heather and she tore me apart, just like, it was, you know, but, like, I learned a lot from it. And, like I said, yeah. I'm good with rejection, and... Well, that's what you pay for as well, so it's... Yeah, and, and but I'm also, I try, to, I try to stay humble, which isn't easy sometimes, but, um, you know, I took what she said, and, you know, some of the stuff hurt, because it was, like, very, even, like, some of the stuff was, like, very basic, like, what's, what's the story? Like, you can have bombastic action, but if there's no story, no backbone to it, who cares? And then, but it was cool because, like, she would also, like, put in not only, like, like actual notes and stuff, but she would, like, personal, she personalized it with, like, you know, stories about, like, different projects she had worked on and, like, how, what she's talking, talking about went into those. And it was super cool. And she, she spent way more time than she really had to, which was cool. So, but anyways, back to the, back to why I brought that up. I learned a lot from her. And that, I can't remember, honestly, I'm, honestly, I'm just bullshitting right now. I can't remember why I went We're on a nice it. path. We started with slagging up comics today and how. She's great. Valiant's great. And getting notes from editors is great. So. Yeah. And I guess it's, it's having that ability to respond to feedback. Cause yeah. It's, it's, it's your baby and no one likes to have it torn apart, but I think that's the only way to go forward. You have to. Yeah. It, it, ugh, editing is so important. <laughs> It's so important because the first draft is never good. It's never good. No matter how good it may be, it's never good. And I think that that was definitely the roadblock I hit when I decided to remake the High Priestess comic. Yeah. Because it's terrible. <laughs> That's the same same with me. Like I said, I'm re- rewriting and re-lettering and remastering yeah. issue one through uh, five, including six, because six hasn't been lettered yet, obviously. Uh, but I'm re-lettering all those issues and, I'm, and rewriting them, and I'm just like... You know, issues one and two were first drafts. I wrote the drafts, sent them, and that was it. Issue three was, like, the first time I started rewriting. Issue four was the first time I started rewriting my rewrites. And then issues five and six, which is where the series, in the initial run, before they're getting rewritten now, then the initial run, issues five and six, was where, like, you could tell that I was getting better as a writer because I was focusing on rewriting my rewrites of my rewrites. Like, having friends look at it and be like, this works. This doesn't. Why are you doing this? What's up with this? Like, and it's really, really made a difference. Yeah, but then I guess it's nice that you can see that. Cause yeah, there's going to be a noticeable increase in quality, and that's definitely what's going to happen with my book. The second we do issue three, which never got released. Yeah, 
it's going to be this it's almost going to be a completely different story but exactly. I feel that works in the context of the actual yeah plot itself but yeah it's it's weird looking back and firstly getting through the embarrassment that is known that you did something put out like that yeah the fun of having that second chance to you know tweak the dialogue and set up Take a bit that. of foreshadowing or yes for, foreshadowing and then yeah like you said editing dialogue taking out terrible jokes that made no sense that were just thrown in there because the character had to be the funny one and it's like the well quips, yeah <laughs> and it's like the humor can come from just them being an idiot you don't have to have them making jokes all the time unless it's the character like if you're writing spider-man or if you're writing deadpool you have to have those which is why i could never i don't think i could write spider-man i don't know anyways because i think i would write spider-man neurotic like in erotic yes i I would write a very erotic spider-man it'd just be peter parker just just naked well it is 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 the story (laughs) of a teenage boy yes finding maturity through shooting sticky white fluids (laughs) But no, I would write him very neurotic, because that's, I think, how I am. So it would, and that's, I think, how my favorite kind of Peter Parker is, is when he's very insecure and neurotic, and even though he's all-powerful as he is, he's also not sure of himself, and I think that's fun. And that's where I would find the humor, but Deadpool, I would never want to write. But that's because that's you're relating to him on that level. Yeah. So I guess if I'm going to relate to a Spider-Man, it would be Tobey Maguire. I'm a bit fat, and in retrospect, <laughs> I'm not the best one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, listen, nobody. I don't even know if Andrew, what well, not Andrew Garfield, um, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. I, I don't even know if Tom Holland was born when Tobey Maguire was doing this. He was like, he was my age. No, he's younger than me. Wait, wait, wait. He's twenty-two now, I think. Shit on it. And then yeah, if we get if we get Baby from Baby Driver as um as uh Johnny Storm, then it's gonna be perfect. Was that a thing? Is that a rumor? That was my fan casting. I think oh, he'd, be, he'd be great yes, as please. Johnny Storm. I love him a lot. I base my style upon Baby Driver. <laughs> well, the theme tune to this podcast is from the Baby Driver soundtrack as well. Oh, oh really? Yeah, don't tell them that, though. <laughs> I don't know if you'd go to prison. You'd probably just have to pay a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go to prison. <laughs> is, yeah, that, but... is that how it works? You go to prison for copyright infringement? Maybe. I think you just get like a big fine, like like probably like depending on the studio and whatever. Well, I guess you, you get your warning first. You cease and desist. Yeah. You, you get your chance to stop it. You have to have. You have to have. Not very interesting. On, on Kickstarter, there's people doing sketchbooks to copyright characters and stuff, and it really throws me how they get. Yeah. And I think it's just, just like I know in American cons, like that became American uh, the convention scene, like that became a kind of an issue a few years ago. It's like oh yes, people people making money off of like their Spider-Man sketches and stuff. Like it's one thing to like have commission lists and that's fine but when you're doing like full-on like prints and like that's all you're selling and you're not actually like a comic artist and you're just like some company who's making hundreds of thousands of bucks per con just selling spider-man <laughs> like yeah it's like dante's inferno there's these different levels of fan art yeah so you've, you've got the people ripping it off someone's deviant art and printing it yeah it you've got the people doing it themselves and selling it at con you've got people like me who've worked in an official capacity Slightly, <laughs> but the thing is, there's, there's hundreds of us Star Wars artists. And yeah, nearly all of us will be at a con with prints going. We're licensed Star Wars artists, but I think the reality is <laughs> we're not quite licensed Star Wars. Artists. We're licensed to do the bit we're paid for. But at least, and... at least you have like a legal loophole. <laughs> I don't think that would stand in any court ever. Luckily, I, I don't really dabble in prints, but yeah, but like it's better than like like I said, like it's one thing if like. A person who has written a comic book featuring Batman or Elektra or Daredevil or Spider-Man having... Well, that's the next level of the, Dan- the Dante's fan art. Yeah. The, you know, if you've done one pin-up for Dark Horse, does that mean you you can go and draw anything from their repertoire? I think, it, another I think it gives you more of an excuse than, like like I said, like some like random like art studio who has like dudes selling pictures of like Kenny from South Park smoking a bong next to a picture of like Spider-Man's... Like, you know, swinging. Oh, that would look good in my living room. <laughs> Kenny smoking a bong. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want a piece of art that truly reflects what a despicable human I am. <laughs> I guess that, yeah, I guess that works. I guess that works. And obviously, that it's unlicensed as well helps. Yeah. If the print's kind of low quality. If you can see the pixels, I want that as well. <laughs> oh, man. Conventions are fun. It's... I'm too confused at the moment to know my true opinion on it all right now. Yeah. 
so many of them. It's again like all the all the markets we're in. It's oversaturated. And it's it's almost a complete roll of the dice to work out which one's gonna be the one worth doing. Yeah. Same with comics. Which one's gonna be a hit and which one's not. Same with you know even the trading cards I work on. That's massively oversaturated. There's like two sets a month coming out. Wow. I don't know how many people buy them because they don't it, sell them in the UK. It, but. it really is like we're in the nineties again. <sighs> hopefully not. Or like yeah, yeah, well, hopefully not. I think I I don't think so. But like just like the fact that like trading cards are so big again, uh, comic books are huge again. Like, but Mar- I feel they've all kind of got a bit of a premium on them now compared to the nineties. I think so. so too. The, the trading cards are fifty dollars a box rather than two dollars at your local oh, store. Yeah. Or, yeah, okay. And that the comics sense. are nice big deluxe hardbacks and all the, the yeah. things that come out. And then like with comics, at least you have like. Very quality films, at least on Marvel's end, uh, backing up the, uh, the product. So like somebody goes, like, you know, somebody is excited to go see Captain Marvel or Endgame or Spider-Man. Wait, someone's excited to see Captain Marvel? I am. It's gonna be fun. It's got a woman in it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's gonna be, it's a gamble, you know. For the, for the sake of people on the internet, I'm joking. (laughs) It did not work well for Wonder Woman at all. <laughs> Women can't bust ghosts either. We've settled that. Um, they can't Star Wars. They can't do that. Razor blades. Um, just, just stop it, women. <laughs> Again, he's joking. Uh, I yeah. don't want. I don't want to be on some comics gate pedestal for saying that. <laughs> I could be. I thought about this a lot. Like, even though I don't have those views, I could be very rich right now by pretending to have them. Well, here's here's a thought that I've had. Not about Comicscape, but I guess, like, now I'm going to mold it to it. But, like, do you think somebody could ever, like... Because, like, people that fall in line with, like, cults and, like, stuff, like, stupid stuff, like, like Comicscape, like, obviously... Comicscape is a cult. Yes. And it's the also people a that, and all of that, but it's a cult. It's this mob mentality. It's it's like a rally. And the, the people that are leading it are obviously very egocentric, like, egomaniacal people. And the people that follow it are dumb, um, <laughs> to, to say it nicely. There's definitely a few smart ones in there. Not to yeah. names, but there's, there's some who know how oh, to play the game. There's some what to say to who and when to monetize yeah. it with the Indigo. Well, and... yeah, that goes down a whole other rabbit hole. But like, but what I was going to say is like going back to like just cults, but then you know now to bring it to Comicsgate. Do you think it would ever be possible for somebody to like infiltrate a cult, work their way up to like the top? And then lead that cult somewhere else, or do you think that it would just inevitably be because of like the egos and stuff that they would just get sucked into the cult's way of thinking and never? I think the reality would be you'd get sucked into it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the mob mentality, yeah. and I think a lot of minds. Are weak. Or you could destroy it from the inside. I don't think you could. I don't think you could destroy it from the inside. I think like I think you could do like a Black Klansman with comics. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've also been like, like over like the last year or two, because of moving to LA and becoming fascinated with, you just see their, their buildings and stuff everywhere. I've been researching Scientology a lot lately and God, that's the most depressing way to go to sleep is researching Scientology because it is so sad and. You can, it's a pyramid scheme. You can buy superpowers, yeah. right? <laughs> Basically, but like the, the leader David Miscavige or whatever his name is, um, he's like so, I mean, he's an evil mastermind because like, He's, he'll be, it'll be like people start making their way up to like the highest levels and then he'll be like, oh, but we just found, we just found like all these hidden texts and stuff that L. Ron Hubbard left and there's like. The sci-fi writer, L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. And there's like, there's like 30 more steps that you have to go before you hit the top. I'm so sorry. Give me all of your money. Like, and, and every time people, it. and yeah, people fall for it because they want something to believe. It's the people that need that, you know, and that's the sad and part. And three, three times a year you get the, the world's going to end on this date. Yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, man. Cults, cults, secret societies, and and stuff like that. They're so interesting, and uh, I love them. And it's it's taken the disenfranchised or the angry or the and this is exactly how Comicscape became a thing. And I, yep. I'm so saddened to see that it is still a thing. Every now and then, I'll I'll Google it, and uh, they're still going with the same diatribe. But it works. It's the it works, and know, then you, they make buttloads of money and put out really really bad comics because of yeah, it. Yeah, you guys have. Alex Jones, and we've got the Tommy <laughs> Robinson and stuff. It's the Ethan Van Scrivener, or whatever his name is. Yeah, goodness. didn't he? Didn't he quit because it got? No, he said he was. He said he was going to quit, just like the other guy said he was going to quit. And then they're both still going strong as the, the the voices of it all. But luckily, 
like they, like re, the recent one that I was seeing on Twitter was like they put out a video like bragging about the fact that they have 14 women, and it was like, well, if you're <laughs> like thousands and thousands of people, are you really happy that you only? But is have it thousands and thousands of people? That's the other question. Yeah, no, probably not. It's probably maybe I would I could see it being hundreds of people just because comics fans can either be the best or the worst depending on which variety we're talking about. Plus, if you have to wheel out a minority, that's, I think that's when it becomes tokenism. Yep, it's it's awful. It's yeah, awful. I'm I'm not racist. Some of my best friends are black. That's that's the equivalent of that. Basically, yeah. Ugh. it's it's such a weird weird movement, and it, I can see why it started, but I, not I not like that. Like saying I can see why it started, I guess, gives it fuel to the fire, even if you don't agree with it. But I can, you can see why it works and why it's such a viable business model. Because people throw their money because they're angry. Yeah, it's like, like a, kick, a, kick, a normal Kickstarter will probably do okay, but one fueled by hate and yeah, because and divide I guess, and conquer. I guess because like if it's if it happens in the in the world around us, like if if news anchors and politicians are being mad, are mad because people in the U.S. Senate now wear a hijab or are are a single mother or a lesbian or whatever, like of course that's going to bleed into smaller markets like comics or whatever like because that mentality that is within humanity and uh it's just that's it's successful as angry yeah. people click more so I you can, get these yeah painful I diatribes <laughs> yeah and i could go into like a grant morrison storyline off of that right now if i wanted to but i'm not <laughs> if you want you do the action and then i'll be alan moore that's how we fall, that's how we fall out yeah <laughs> that's oh. a alan moore impression you can do your grant morrison i don't know i don't even know if i have a grant morrison impression where he's where is he from Scotland. Scotland? Oh, I can't do a Scot- Scottish accent. I guess give me enough Isla whiskey. I maybe I could at least be drunk enough to, to do one and it would be terrible and offensive, but at least I won't care because I'll be drunk off scotch. Yeah, and if I do enough LSD, I'll turn into Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and talk with a really deep Northampton accent. That's not bad. I, I'm working on it. And who's the guy who did Venom? Because I know he met Alan Moore. Is that Donny? Donny Cates, yeah. Yeah. He's great. He did like a, he did like a UK tour of meeting all the uh, famous ones. Aw. Donny Cates. He skipped my house because I've got like a picture <laughs> of Car- Cartman with a bong. <laughs> I think Donny, judged me on that. <laughs> Donny Cates is the reason I went uh, viral a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah, with the uh, with the, project. Yeah, which, I mean, was crazy because I did not. I thought maybe, you know, it's like, oh, maybe Reese will answer this or, you know. Like one of my friends. I didn't answer, answer though, did I? Because I, I genuinely wouldn't touch a comic. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. Um, and then next thing I know, Donny Cates had quote tweeted it, and then like, you know, it's it's I'll still get on, yeah. notifications now, here and here and then. And I think last I looked at it, it was like at like seventeen hundred like likes, which was insane to me as yeah. such a stupid throwaway thing. And that feels like a more positive way to do a promotion. Because then the, the second tweet is always your SoundCloud link or your, your comic link. Which my my uh, my SoundCloud link for this was, I think I would write a really killer bir- new Birds of Prey story featuring Harper Rowe, Stephanie Brown, and Cassandra Cain. <laughs> I was like, hey, if, if some DC editor sees this and it's like, sure, whatever. You could have used that to promote your upcoming Kickstarter. <laughs> well, I didn't. at that point, I didn't know I was doing the Kickstarter yet. That's the one good thing of social media. I can, yeah. I've got a lot of issues with it, especially in this day and age, with, yeah. Yeah, what we've discussed. But every now and then, so you know, when, when my magazines made it to Alan Moore and he complimented them, which was definitely saying that shouldn't have happened in my first year. But, you know, I wish I happened. it happened this year, maybe. You can't control that sort of thing. But then this year I've accidentally befriended my favourite comedian. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, for a weird turn of events, meeting him at an event. Yeah. So stuff like that is really positive and that should be celebrated or, you know, even the good friends at Comic House. <laughs> that <laughs> I, count and... my, I count my money. Stuff like that, the actual <laughs> real tangible support. Yeah, and like, it's also great because like, because of like networking and meeting fr- new friends and stuff like, like in the, in the industry, like, I think, I, I'm sure I met you through like Twitter or Reddit. Yeah, I think I sent something. you a copy of my book on Twitter and then you sent me yeah. some scripts and I was keen to work from someone else's and, and then same with like doing wrestling for you was kind of like comic school for me. <laughs> and then like that's how I also met Andy, my uh, current collaborator. Like I just posted like a thing on Twitter, like who like when the when it was like K Volume Three is accepting submissions, 
I was like, ooh, I love wrestling, and I want to start making more comics again. So I posted a tweet saying, like, you know, who wants to do a wrestling story set in space? And he had responded, and then we started talking, and, you know, turned out he lived in L.A., so we will like, meet up and grab, like, beers at, like, one of the breweries or whatever, and we'll just start discussing the story we're working on, the next story we're going to work on, comics. He's super into, like, Street Fighter and stuff, so, like, we're trying to figure out some sort of, like, cool video game-esque um, comic book um, to work on together. So that's another cool thing about social media is, like, you know, people that are that are also doing work at the same level you're doing your work, you can meet and talk to and support and, like, there's people like like um, that I'm constantly like interacting with, either sharing their stuff or sending messages back and forth, like like Emily or um, Chris Shahan, who's a great artist I think out of Texas, or um, Kelly Brack, who's an awesome writer out of uh, I believe Canada, and then you know the, my old friends like you, Mitchell Doig, uh, Nick Philpot, um, people that you know I met back when I was first starting out in 2014 or 15 was half because of Twitter or whatever, like, I don't know. It's it's terrible because of a lot of terrible things, but it's also great because of that. Yeah. The network. Oh, yeah, I still like Mitch and Nick. It's, okay, it comes to me because there's a yeah. few people I like from my first year in comics. Yeah. But then there was somewhere. I, I think I had the opposite experience to what you've had. You, I think you've been very blessed and lucky to have such great collaborators in your time, but I, I think I was in a car accident at the end of 2015, which kind of yeah knocked me off my stride a bit, and as soon as I had the accident, a lot of the emails I was getting, rather than, are you okay? It was, oh, you're still going to be able to do X, Y, or Z for me. Yeah. And I kind of hurt, and I know that's very shallow and self-obsessed, but oh, it's it kind of made me... There was a lo- there's a lot of people in comics who want something from you. Yeah. And when, you cu- when you're of no use to them, they kind of discard you. Yeah. And that really hurt at that time and that's why you know High Priestess 3 never came out or the, the magazine I was doing only lasted three issues yeah and I think it was all a bit much for me yeah so last year I was diagnosed with autism so it turns out that's probably a big factor in why I was struggling with attitudes yeah. like that but hey ho <laughs> <laughs> it's a double edged sword I guess nice. yeah and we that, can talk that's... about social media etiquette and both sides of that coin until we're red in the face and it wouldn't change anything. I mean, oh. our last guest wrote a book on it. I mean, him couldn't even work out what it was all about. But Yeah, it's... But, like, going back to, like, the people always want something from you that, that you had mentioned, like, that's in every field, not just comics. Like, I, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everything I say, can, you can apply it to music, you can apply it to filmmaking. Yeah, like, there's you people... You can apply it to working at a convenience store. It's... Especially in, in, but like especially in entertainment, like some people like have that mindset of like, who's the next stepping stone I can get over, and that's annoying. And a lot of but, a lot of big people, yeah, got big by fucking people over. Yeah, I can't really name any comics people. I can name one, and I will when we're not recording. <laughs> but you know, just in business itself, yeah, you know, for every. Mark Zuckerberg, there's a Winklevoss twin, and that is two of, why two of them. <laughs> and that is why contracts are so important. Because I was reading, um, Andy had sent me this like this like link on Twitter to like this like thread that a comics creator had posted about like him and a collaborator were working on something, and then the other collaborator got big because of it. But because they got big production on their product that got her big, forced production on that product to cease which cut into his paycheck you know and it's just like mm. and the, the main thing that take away from that that he had posted was like make sure you have collaborator contracts because you never know what's going to happen and you need to yeah. protect yourself you might get bill fingered <laughs> that's both hilarious and sad get, <laughs> don't get fingered i think is the lesson we can learn from tonight's podcast <laughs> sponsored by comic house it is like netflix the comics Sign up now for your 14-day free trial. Well, what's great about that is that I'm also working on a uh, Freddy Got Fingered comic that I'm going to put on Comic House, so it, it all works. It all works out. Bill got fingered. <laughs> Wait, what was the name of the other guy? Bob. There you go. Bob got fingered. It's about <laughs> Bill Finger coming back to get Bob Kane. Oh. The problem is all the witches and wizards I've met in my time, which is surprisingly many. Yeah. They, they all do drugs, and that kind of spoils it for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I want to meet someone who's kind of on another plane. Well, I guess like chemically enhanced. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of like an exception, and I can't. Even me, when I thought I was living in multiple dimensions at one time, <laughs> I forgot to take my medication, and I had to okay. go like five days without it to get my repeat prescription. And I tripped balls. That was fun. <laughs> Um, but don't 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 do drugs. No. Okay, let's wrap this up. Right. Yes. It's coming to an hour, so we're going to wrap this up with some bullet points of what we've learned today. Actual material, not just not yeah. just two so, guys bullshit. Well, we're going to wrap it all up now, so everything else is just been foreshadowing. So don't do drugs. Yes. The internet is good slash bad. Yes. Um, please unblock me. Yeah, I, I vouch for I vouch for Reese until he does something bad. I think that has to, that has to be like the thing you say when you're supporting somebody. Now is you have to be like, I like this person until they do something bad, and then I have to retract my statement later. That's perfectly fair. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying you would. Resi- I could be the one that does something bad. Who knows? Cause, but you know, I've I've had horrible things happen to me because I've chose morality over friendship. Yeah, and fuck that. No. Morality before mates. If someone's done something wrong, yeah. See you later. Yeah. So I agree. Right there. Um, point number four: build the wall. Point number five. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, I'm on point five now. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, so we talked about. Oh, you did a book. Did you do a book? I've done, I've done a, a comic. I've done, I've done a, a comic, right? I've done a few, yes. I've done Weasel Meisters, which the first trade. Yeah, so that's going to be on Kickstarter, um, and some of that money will be then passed on to the Indiegogo to build the wall. Yes, um, all of it, 100. Um, percent Because you know they've raised five grand now, so they're like five percent there. Yeah, you see, I'm just like just like the, uh, the superior leader Trump. I'm also pulling a big con on the people. They're going to think they're getting a book, but really they're just getting a brick in the wall. Oh, that's what I should do with all my high priestess being sold copies. <laughs> stack them up as a big wall <laughs> to keep you know the women out <laughs> yeah, just a big fort with a sign out says no girls allowed on the wall is a picture of Cartman with a bong <laughs> but yes I didn't, I've done a comic Weasemeisters the first six issues collected into a trade paperback gonna be on Kickstarter pretty much when this podcast goes up it'll be available yeah, and the great month. thing about this Kickstarter is it's the same as my attitude towards Kickstarter it's a pre-order Yes. Rather than a, you know, you're not putting money in the trust that you're going to make it because you've made it. Correct. Like you said, you've got a few pages left to do, and it's by the time this podcast is done, all, all six issues worth of art will be done. It just needs the last issue needs to be lettered, and then the relettering and rewriting fun that I have to do over the next month is going to be also very fun and not make me want to gouge my eyes out. There we go. Perfect. And where can we find you on the social media? Twitter at b r e n t t. H-A-R-S-H-M-A-N. Brent Harshman. Brent with two Ts. Instagram is the same as that. And I only have uh, friends and family only Facebook because I don't believe in adding random people and then having to delete people when I see crazy stuff go up. (laughs) That's that's all I ever do. (laughs) But what I do is I accept them, invite them to my my professional comics page. (laughs) And then... You know, I've got the numbers, and then if they're if they're a bit racist, they can go. Ooh, okay. If they're too racist, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm racist and I hate women. Um, <laughs> you know, I support hashtag not all men, but I am one of the men. <laughs> um, speaking of <laughs> speaking of comic Facebooks, you can also find Weaselmeisters on Facebook by just searching Weaselmeisters, and it should. Hopefully be the only page, because who knows if I made one previously, and also who knows if somebody's going by Bob Weaselmeister, which is a great name for a character in a sitcom. Oh, that sounds like a guy who's on the run. Yeah. <laughs> but you can also read it on Comic House, and yes. please do that, and leave a little review, yes. and it'll shoot straight up the charts, and then me and Brent will go head-to-head, like Batman versus Superman. And to tie this whole thing together, that will be what takes our friendship down. Not all those horrible things I just said. No. But I didn't mean... You just did. for anyone listening, I know there's people who, who want to believe that I'm some sort of massive, bigot, fascist. <laughs> you know, if if I'm going to do a genocide, it'll be one of those communist ones, okay? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't win, can I? <laughs>
Perfect. But yes, I do comics. Kayfabe Volume 3 has a story by me, Andy Michael, and Letter Squids in it. It just went up for sale. I'm also working on some other stories with Andy Michael, so stay tuned because great stuff. And that's on Drive Through Comics, isn't it? Yes, I believe it is, yeah. It's and it's worth it. It's a huge book. Lots of lots of stories by lots of amazing creators. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And before we go, I'm gonna leave you with one last message. Hatred and bigotry. Do you know which minority I hate the most? What? <laughs> <laughs>